episode 155. This episode is going to be fair use Creative Commons license and it's covering the archetypes and the storyline of The Godfather Part 2. Back in episode, I believe it's 22, I did an episode breakdown of The Godfather Part 1 and till this day that episode remains in my top 10 till this day. So I figured it would be a good idea to put out a breakdown, archetypal breakdown of Godfather Part 2. So this is it. Godfather Part 2, Paramount Pictures, 1974, a crime epic from Francis Ford Coppola, produced and directed, co-written with Mario Puzo, who wrote the original book, starring Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, and Robert De Niro. Part of the mastery of this Godfather Part 2 is, I guess you would call it the prequel, because you have a lot of flashbacks to Don Vito Corleone back in his hometown of Corleone, Sicily. And there's a lot of flashbacks and flash-forwards, Don Vito Corleone in Sicily, and in Lower East Side, New York, and then Michael Corleone, you know, in the 60s, modern day. Which makes it really intriguing, because you get a true insight to the mechanics of how gangsters operated back in that time in New York, in Sicily, and such. So it makes it really interesting. And again, this is an epic. This is this part one and part two of Godfather are the best. Either one can stand up. I think even part two is even better because it builds on part one. Go into Google search engine or any good search engine and type in best movie of all time and more than likely you're going to get, you know, the results are going to say The Godfather and Godfather 2. Some real New York gangster shit and gangster archetypes. Strategic thinking, power, corruption, greed, fear, and alpha male shit. So what I'm going to do, the movie's about three and a half hours long. So, and by the way, this is my third recording of it. My first one was too wordy. My second one, my black lap kind of nudged against my laptop headphone mic combination and deleted it. Like literally just deleted it right off my laptop. And I was mad at her for like 90 seconds. And they gave her a piece of my ham sandwich. And we were cool. So anyway, I digress. The movie opens up and takes place in Sicily. the opening scene that you see. And you see a funeral procession. And it's a funeral for... Antonio Andolini, who's the arch, the uh, archetype of the patriarch of the Corleone family, and uh, this funeral procession is is actually for Antonio Andolini, because he made some slight words or slight insult to the local mafia chieftain in the town of Corleone by the name of Don Cheech, Don being a sign of respect, title of respect. It's- So Don Cheech killed, had Antonio assassinated, 
and during the funeral procession, they actually shot and killed his son, Paolo. So the mother, the grieving mother is leaning over Paolo, and she's like, oh my God, they killed my husband, and now they killed my son. And I think he was about 15 years old, so he's lying there dead. And you could see young Michael Corleone in the background watching this all take place. So the mother, not being stupid and really loving her son, she only has one son left, takes, takes young Vito Corleone, or young Vito Andolini, which is the real name, and goes to Don Chich's palace. And he's sitting there, you know, with his bodyguards and the heavily armed, sitting in this big king palatial chair with the prototypical, you know, gold watch chain across his vest. Very old, he's like 90 years old. And the mother goes up to him and says, Don Chich, you've killed my husband and you've killed my, my oldest son, Pablo. And, and now I'm asking you to spare the life of my son, Vito. Please don't kill him. He'll be a good boy and he's not going to try to retaliate and he's just here to take care of me and help the family. And Don Cheech says, yeah, he's little now, but he's going to grow big and forte, strong. And that's when he's going to try to seek his revenge. And the mother's like, no, no. And she's kissing his ring, kiss, prototypically kissing, the proverbial kissing the ring. And the guy's a real idiot. You know, he gets up and he, he, he looks, squints and looks at the boy because he could barely see. And he goes, and the mother's like, please, please spare his life. And he goes, no, no. So the mother, right at that point, kind of reaches back into her, her garment, I guess, her, her waistband or something, pulls out a big knife. And real athletically, like in one quick, like an MMA move, she kind of grabs Don Facciamo le mani, Don Ciccio. Don Ciccio, ma ammazzaste a mio marito. Perché non si vuosi calare. Eppure ho figlio mio ranni, Paolo. Perché hai via giurato vinnita. Ma vito. Avi solo novanni ed è fissa. E poi avi avu cuzzanica. Io non mi scando di parola, sai. <laughs> ma ho figlio mio è sicco. Iddu, cusciusciuna batte. E se quando cresce, cresce forte? Bussia non si scanta. Sto vicirino non ci può fare niente. Quando è grande, se ne viene per fare vennetta. Che piacere, Vinciccio. Sparagnatevi, sto figlio mio. Tengo solo a chisto. O signor Uzzo mio, vi giuro che non fa niente, o signoria. Mus paragnas. No. Vita, Tilly! Tilly, ma l'ammazzo! Ferme! Vattini, figlio! Figlio! Vito, Vattini! Ammazzatelo! 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 Don Ciccio verrà a sapere che qualche famiglia aveva mucciato per Cirillo Vitandolini. Malamente finisce. Ciccio, the old man, puts the knife to his throat and tells his son, run Vito, run, because she knew, she's not stupid, she knew that he was going to kill them both probably right there. So Vito runs and gets away and there's a shotgun blast. 
blam. And it, you could see the mother being thrown back by the velocity of the shotgun blast, you know, and she just she gave up her life for her son. And I doubt there's too many mothers that would do that these days, you know. And it's kind of heartbreaking, that scene. So Vito gets away, and the next thing you see him on a boat, literally like a big sailing ship with the big sails. This is 1901. Pulling into Ellis Island, you see the Statue of Liberty in the background, and you see all the immigrants coming, filing into Ellis Island. They're all getting medical exams. You see young Vito uh, as he walks away with his, he's, at this point, I guess he's eight years old. You could see like a little patch on the back of his jacket, and he's all poor, you know, and humble. And they uh, put him in quarantine. They do an exam on him and they look under his eyelids. They put him on quarantine for four weeks. And eventually, eventually he gets released from quarantine. So the movie cuts to uh, Michael Corleone, circa 1960. And he's having, you know, a big meeting with a corrupt politician. The politician is trying to shake him down for money, extort him for money politician says to Michael Corleone and, and Michael Corleone takes cuts from is cut from the same cloth as his dad stoic and just you know a real archetype man of the king you know of the leader of the hero you know so this politic corrupt politician is saying hey you have two big casinos you're making a lot of money here in, in Las Vegas and and I want to cut and you know this is what it's going to cost you to get your permits and everything like that 
and Michael tells me. I'm going to arrange this whole thing for you, man, Turnbull. Yes, yes. I was under the impression that you and I would talk alone. I trust these men with my life, Senator. If I were to ask them to leave, it would be an insult. Well, it's perfectly all right with me, but I should tell you that I am a blunt man, and I intend to speak very frankly to you. Maybe more frankly than anyone in my position has ever talked to you about that. Carleon family has done very well here in Nevada. You own, or... You control two major hotels in Vegas, one in Reno. The licenses were grandfathered in, so there was no problem with the gaming commission. Now, my sources tell me that you plan to make a move against the Tropicana. They tell me that within a week, you're going to move Clingman out. That's quite an expansion. However, it will leave you with one little technical problem. The license will still be in Klingman's name. Turnbull is a good man. Yeah, well, let's, let's cut out the bullshit. I don't want to spend any more time here than I have to. You're going to have a license. The price is $250,000, plus a monthly payment of 5% of the gross. Of all four hotels, Mr. Now, the price for the license is less than $20,000, am I right? That's right. Now, why would I ever consider paying more than that? Because I intend to squeeze you. I don't like your kind of people. I don't like to see you come out to this clean country in your oily hair, dressed up in those silk suits. Try to pass yourselves off as decent Americans. I'll do business with you, but the fact is that I despise your masquerade, the dishonest way you pose yourself, yourself and your whole fucking family. Senator, we're both part of the same hypocrisy. But never think it applies to my family. All right. All right. Some people have to play little games. You play yours. So let's just say that you'll pay me because it's in your interest to pay me. But I want your answer in the money by noon tomorrow. And one more thing. Don't you contact me again, ever. From now on, you deal with Turnbull. Open the door, sir. Senator, you can have my answer now if you like. My offer is this. Nothing. Not even the fee for the gaming license, which I would appreciate if you would put up personally. The goal was take a long walk off a short pier, you know, just get out of here and you're not you're not shaking me down, you know, you ain't shit basically. So, at that point, Michael's having a bunch of meetings. I guess there's a big, a big celebration, big party, and there's a uh, huge, like, 50-piece band and all kind of people from New York coming in and just big meetings happening because Michael's the big boss now. So, 
during this meeting, one of his soldiers, one of his uh, lieutenants or whatever, back in New York, Pantangeli, gets all drunk and bolsterous and making a lot of noise and knocking over drinks and just acting like a boss. I guess he, he's slighting and disrespecting Michael Corleone because he doesn't respect him like he respected his dad, Vito. So he's trying to muscle in on him and kind of boss him around. And Mike, Michael Corleone is staying quiet and just watching, you know, the moves that are taking place. You know, they I guess they think that either Michael is stupid or afraid or, or whatever, but they don't realize he's literally cut from the same cloth as his dad, Vito. So they have a one-on-one meeting with uh, Michael Corleone and Pantangeli, and uh, Pantangeli's like, these Rosada brothers, I want them out of the way, and they're muscling in on my territory, and this Hiram Roth in Florida, blah, 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 you know, just trying to run the show and tell Mike what to do, and he's drunk and bolsterous. And Mike tells him, you know what, calm down, you know, my dad trusted Hiram Roth and the Rosada brothers, you know, we're going to try to work all of this out because everybody's looking, f- you know, whatever. And Pantangent's like, you know what, I don't eat in New York, I don't eat in Miami, and what? Clemenza promised the Rosado brothers three territories in the Bronx after he died. You took over, and you didn't give it to them. I welched? You welched. Yeah, Clemenza promised them Ogatas, Muscular. Clemenza promised them nothing. He hated those son of a bitches more than I did. Frankie, they feel cheated. Mike, are you sitting high up in the Sierra Mountains, and you're drinking, uh, what's he drinking? Champagne. Champagne, champagne cocktails. And you're passing judgment on how I run my thing. To familia. Ancora porta il nome del Coleone. E tu sempre devi rispettare i cosi di famiglia. Abonidemi e non mangio car, non mangio Las Vegas, e non mangio Miami. Con Heimer Roth. Thank you. You're a good old man. I like you. You were loyal to my father for years. It was not our brothers to take in hostages. And Mike, they spit right in my face. All because they're backed up by that Jew in Miami. I know. That's why I don't want him touched. You don't want him touched? No. I want you to be fair with him. You want me to be fair with him? Tom, how can he be fair to animals? Tom, for Christ's sakes. Listen, they recruit spits. They recruit niggas. You know, they do violence in their, in their grandmother's neighborhoods. And I tell you, everything with them is whores. Whores! And I'll provide you. Jump! Go! And they leave the gambling to last. Now, I want to earn my family without you on my back. And I want those Rosado brothers dead. No. Mort. Now, I have business that's important with Hyman Roth. I don't want it disturbed. Then you give your loyalty to a Jew before your own blood. Come on, Frankie. You know my father did business with Hyman Roth. He respected him. Your father did business with Hyman Roth? Your father respected Hyman Roth? But your father never trusted Hyman Roth. Or his Sicilian messenger boy, Johnny Ola. And I want everybody here to know there's not going to be no trouble for me. Don Corleone, Chicho, Abort.
You want him to leave now? Let him go back to New York. I've already made my plans. The old man had too much wine. There's all of this, and he, you know, he yells out and he goes, "You know what? You're not going to have any problems from Pentangeli," and 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 he walks out. Him saying that, Mike already knows it's coming. He knows something's going on, and he's going to be an issue. Michael knows how the piece, chess pieces move on that board, just like his dad. So that night, Michael goes home. He goes to the bedroom. He's talking to his wife, and you know, just that little small chit chat before you go to sleep, and. His wife, Kate, Michael Corleone's wife, Kate, says, Michael, why are the blinds open? Because I guess the road's closed. And Mike looks out the window, and all of a sudden you hear a rash of uh, machine gun fire. Just glass shattering all over the place. And Mike hits the ground and covers his wife. And the first thing, the first reaction that you're going to have is, is that it's Pantangeli. But Mike cannot jump to any conclusions like that you can't just start killing people and do it got to find out exactly the truth and what's going on and who did this and what he decided to do was he had a sit down with the family conciliary in other words the attorney you know the cons- you know you know like the hierarchy like the conciliary like a general type guy and he says, Tom, I'm going to leave the family in your hands. I'm trusting the lives of my family, my wife, my kids, and the Corleone family in your hands. Because he has to lay low and figure out exactly what's going on. Because it seems like it could even be the other four families just trying to squeeze Michael out. Being that Vito died, they figured, you know, they can uh, share the spoils of taking out the Corleone family. and Just take, take all their assets and, and, and take their family over and wipe them out. And it's a smart move. So Mike, you know, has to lay low and get away, which he does. And Tom is actually uh, Michael Corleone's brother. He, Vito, his dad adopted him as a baby, and they, ha- they have him in uh, as, a, as a family member, as it should be. Because Michael is only going to go to somebody he can really trust. And Tom happens to be super, super smart and knows the mechanics of this uh, organized crime. So the scene cuts forward to, actually goes back to New York City in 1917, Vito Corleone, living in one of these one-bedroom tenements. Uh, he's with his wife. You could tell that he's really slow east side. You could tell that he's, you know, he's really poor, not even working class. He's kind of struggling, I guess, selling tomatoes in the street or whatever, and just trying to live day to day, super, super, you know, poor. And he's holding a baby in his hand, which happens to be Fredo, uh, which is the oldest. And just as a side note, uh, Fredo is such an idiot. He's uh, to co- if you call him an Italian guy, if he if he knows his shit, you call him a Fredo. It's a, it's an insult, you know. So you have Vito, young Vito Corleone, probably about 25, 26 years old, and you know he's sitting there and he hears a commotion that's going on outside, and actually outside of his window, he, his next door neighbor that's in the building across from him. You know, with a little, like, seven-foot alley separating him. Kind of yells his name out, and Vito, Vito, and he opens up the window, and the guy goes, hold this for me, and he tosses him a bundle, and it's a bunch of handguns. So, but he doesn't know what it is. He just grabs, uh, the guy tosses it across the alley, you know, like six feet over to his into his window, and Vito takes it into his bathroom, closes the door, opens it up, 
and sees it's a cache of weapons. It's a bunch of revolvers and such. 1917, it's revolvers. So, you could see he starts to think, and the, uh, I guess he, he made uh, his first gangster friend here in, uh, in New York. I want you to help me take my revenge. Michael, anything. What can I do? Settle these troubles with the Rosano brothers. Mike, I don't understand. I don't... Look, I don't have your brain uh, for big deals. But this is a street thing. That Hyman Roth in Miami, that... He's backing up those son of a bitches. I know he is. Then why? Why do you ask me to lay down to him, Mike? It was Hyman Roth that tried to have me killed. I know it was him. Jesus Christ, Mike. Jesus Christ. Now look, let's get them all. Let's hit them all now while we got the muscle. This used to be my father's old study. It's changed. I remember there used to be a, a big desk, was here. I remember when I was a kid, Frankie, we had to be very quiet when we played near here. I was very happy that this house never went to strangers. First Clemenza took it over, now you. My father taught me many things here. He taught me in this room. He taught me, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Now, if Hyman Roth sees that I interceded in this thing, in the Rosado brothers' favor, he's going to think his relationship with me is still good. Agabit. Agabit. That's what I want him to think. I want him completely relaxed and confident in our friendship. Then I'll be able to find out who the traitor in my family was. Lower East Side, New York. Michael Corleone is attending some kind of a play or some kind of show where they're singing in Italian and such. And he happens to hear a commotion and he looks over and he sees this, the local mafioso boss, Don Fanucci. And I guess he's threatening or trying to extort uh, the young lady actress that, that was up on the stage. So this is the local gangster, and, and, and uh, Vito's looking at him, and I guess he's trying to line up everything, how things work over here in this country and the way the mafia works here. And this Don Fanucci guy, I guess, is the big boss, and Vito's just making his calculations and just seeing how the mechanics of all of this New York shit, gangster shit works out. And basically what this Don Fanucci guy does is he extorts people. You know, he goes over to uh, the store where Vito Corleone is working at, I guess it's like a general store, like a bodega kind of place. And the guy's super nice to him, and, you know, Mike, Mike, uh, I mean, Vito's working in the store, and out of nowhere, this Don Fanucci guy comes in and tells the guy, you know, How you, how's business? Are you doing good? And the guy's like, no, you know, we're struggling, everything is bad. And he, Don Fanucci just reaches over into the register, takes a bunch of money out and tells him to shut up. And uh, Vito's just, just watching this. And it kind of, it really makes it hard. And then Don Fanucci says, you know what, I have a nephew that's coming over and he needs a job. 
so I want them to work in your store. So the, the, the proprietor of, the, of that store doesn't know what to do, and he says, you know, Vito, I, I feel so bad, you know, you know I'm going to have to let you go because I have to put this Don Fanucci's uh, nephew or whatever to work. And uh, Vito's like, you know, it is what it is. And he goes to give him a, a box. The proprietor gives him a box of food, and, you know, it's a whole emotional moment. And, and Vito's super cool about this, you know. And he's, I guess he's starting to make the connection of how this intimidation, extortion racket works. And he's just calculating. And if you look really close, he's not scared at all. He's just measuring and, you know, making an evaluation of how, how to best move, make moves for his family. And in those days, if you were an immigrant coming over from Italy or Sicily or any place, it's a rough living, man. People think they have it hard today. Back then, it was really rough. So back to the neighbor guy that tossed him the the revolvers, the guns from across the alley. His neighbor, they become good friends, you know, and they start talking. So I guess this guy's trying to team up with with Vito because he could see the guy's fearless and he has a lot of potential, you know. And he's all in all, he has a good heart. He's a family man. So this neighbor of his says to him. He says, hey, Vito, do you, I have a really nice rug uh, that you could take home to your wife. Beautiful, very expensive rug, the finest Persian rug. And he says to Vito, says, well, dude, you don't have to. You don't have to do that. He goes, no, as a favor for holding my guns. And, you know, you really took care of them. You gave them back to me. And I just want to repay you. So I want to give you this rug. So Vito says, fine, let, let's go get it. <laughs> so the guy walks up to this big mansion. And it's a rich person's mansion. So the guy, I forget his name, he's trying to, you know, pick the lock of the apartment. And he finally is able to pick the lock. And Vito's looking like, what the hell is this guy doing? So they, but he knows. They go in and he goes, oh, look at this beautiful rug. Let's roll it up. And uh, basically they roll it up and they, you know, they take off with this rug and he brings it home. And I guess he made his first partner in crime. And uh, they end up being really good friends and confidants. And actually, the guy's name, uh, that's the neighbor that gives him the rug, is that's Clemenza, who ends up playing a major role in the movie. Clemenza, and they start to team up. And another friend that he makes is Tessio, the one that ends up betraying the family, you know, betraying to get Michael killed. He's the one that he says he's going to have a meeting for him with the uh, other families, and he's going to assure that everything is going to be safe. I actually put that segment in some of my podcasts where Vito says, Michael, they're going to have a meeting. Somebody's going to approach you to have a meeting, a sit-down, and he's going to assure your safety. And at that meeting, you'll be assassinated. That's that's Tessio, the one that ended up turning. But initially, back in 1920, in New York, they were good friends with Clemenza, Vito Corleone, and Tessio. And what happens is Fenucci sees that these guys are scheming together, so he knows... Uh, they're going to really pose a big challenge to him. So from this scene, it cuts forward to modern-day Michael Corleone uh, going down to Miami to visit Hiram Roth, who was a Jewish gangster. And the Jews had some serious gangsters back then, man. Just like the uh, Sicilian and Italian mafia, they were the same, but they were more low-key about it, but just as ruthless. And they, in certain instances, they worked together when it would benefit both, both families. So... Michael Corleone's dad, Vito, did business with Hiram Roth, and uh, so Michael Corleone is going down to Miami to maintain that bond with him. He's not stupid. He's a smart man, that Michael. 
So Hiram starts to talk to him about Cuba, what's going on in Cuba, and how, I forget the president over there's name, but how he was opening it up to casinos and gambling and everything like that. So, you know, he was going to offer him a piece of it to get in there, had to build an alliance. And Mike is, you know, listening to him, and he understands that this is a very powerful man, and aligning himself with him would continue the tradition with his dad had with him. So... And while Mike is talking with Hiram Roth, he tells Hiram Roth that Pantangeli is a dead man. But the reason he's doing that is he's trying to read the reaction. This is crazy shit, man. He's trying to read the reaction of Hiram Roth because I think underneath it, he's he's suspecting it's Hiram Roth that want to get him killed. Because Pantangeli really didn't like Hiram Roth. He was saying, you know... I don't work with this guy, I don't trust him, and, you know, the Rosado brother, so he was really popping shit about this uh, Hiram Roth guy. And I guess he's moving two or three chess moves ahead, but he, uh, Michael Corleone is telling telling Hiram Roth, you know, Pantangeli's a dead man, blah, 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 and he's, he's reading him, he's really reading him to see what the reaction is like, because I feel that in this scene... M- uh, Michael Corleone is suspecting that Hiram Roth was the one that tried to have him killed. Now, Michael, at, right after the Hiram Roth meeting, Michael has a meeting with, when he comes back home, has a meeting with Pandangelo and says, you know, uh, Hiram Roth tried to get me killed. He's trying to read the reaction of each one because this guy doesn't just listen to your words, but he reads your whole persona, your whole essence of who you are. And there's people that can do that. That I guess it's called being an empath where you have that skill. And Michael is just doing his thing, trying to put all the pieces together. And when Mike says he's going to, Michael Corleone says he's going to take out Hiram Roth, Pantangeli says, let's take him out now while we have the muscle, while we have the power. Let's do it. Now, this is that classic scene when he's sitting with uh, Pantangeli where Michael starts talking and he, uh, he says, you know what? I remember, you know, this house. I grew up here and I'm so glad that you now have this house. He's... He's obviously in Pantangeli's house. It used to be his old house. And then Michael uh, Michael Corleone says, You know, I remember growing up here, and I remember my uh, lesson that my dad always told me. And that lesson was, Always keep your friends close and your enemies closer. That's some deep shit, dude. That's like, that might be the best line ever, man. Because what he's basically saying is don't, let people read your actions or your motivations or the strategies that you're going to employ or what you're thinking or what move you're going to make. Don't don't give that up. So if you have somebody that's an enemy, you basically keep them closer. You smile to them and you talk to them this way. You can see the way they're moving and the reactions that they make because if you let it be known that you're onto them, then the whole thing is you gave everything up, you know. So, yeah, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Now here the scene cuts to Fredo, which is Michael Corleone's brother. Fredo's in bed. Middle of the night, he gets a phone call. And, you know, the guy's like, oh, John, I think it's Johnny Ola. He's like, oh, we're going to hit him, and we're going to do this and that and that and this. And basically, they were testing the waters to confirm that it was indeed Fredo, because this is Michael Corleone's brother, and he may have to kill his own brother. This is like how the gangsters operate. And I guess Michael connected the dots because Fredo would have really been the only one to have access to 
Michael Corleone's bedroom to leave the blinds open. So I guess he made the connection between him and Hiram Roth because I believe indeed it is Hiram Roth that put the hit out on Mike, you know, conspiring against him. So that phone call was Michael had it put out to get that phone call put out to him to say, hey, the Rosado brothers, and we're going to put the hit on Michael and such. He didn't put it in such words, but you can connect the dots, and this is how uh, Michael had the confirmation. Michael Corleone confirmed that it was Hiram Roth, and his own brother, Fredo, betrayed him. So now Michael knows who, who betrayed him, what, why, and the whole nine. And he put it all together instead of just jumping to the conclusion and killing Pantangeli, you know. Now the next scene you see Pantangelo walking up to a bar restaurant on a street corner. And he walks in and the guy greets him outside and they go in and say, oh, you know, let's, you know, have a drink and everything and so and so. And uh, basically somebody comes up from behind <clears throat> and they give him the old Colombian necktie. They take uh, the piano cord and they just choke him out right there. So Pantangeli was actually in on this whole betrayal of Michael Corleone too. So Michael's cleaning house, you know, and asserting himself as the new head of the Corleone family. Just like his dad. Now they cut to a scene in Cuba where uh, Michael Corleone goes to talk business with Hiram Roth. And Hiram Roth is asking him to invest money in his casino. I don't know, two or three million dollars. And they're going back and forth. And the pieces have all basically fit together for uh, Michael Corleone. Especially with regard to Hiram Roth and Fredo, his own brother. So that phone call that Fredo received that night was uh, that night was from a guy Johnny Ola. So Johnny Ola and Fredo were obviously friends along with Hiram Roth because Johnny Ola worked with Hiram Roth. So while Michael Corleone is talking with Hiram Roth in Cuba about uh, the casinos and the investing, Hiram Roth says, "Listen, if I see the $3 million on the table. I know I got a partner. If I don't, I know I don't have a partner. In other words, he wants some money from Michael to invest in his casino. So that night they go to a, uh, one of these shows, like a not a Broadway show, but like a uh, Las Vegas type of show. And there's dancers and music and such, and you know, very highbrow, high class. And they're all walking up to the table and... Johnny Ola walks up, and, and Michael is there, and Fredo's there. Now, Michael Corleone knows that f his brother Fredo and Johnny Ola are friends, and they're conspiring. So, he introduces them, and he goes, Hey, this is uh, my brother Fredo. Uh, this is Johnny Ola. He goes, Oh, and then Johnny goes, Hey, nice to meet you. I've never met you before. And right there, Michael looks, and he knows. He knows he's going to have to smoke his own brother, too. Which is kind of messed up, but... Some gangster shit. And in that world, it's either eat or be eaten. And while they're at this casino in Cuba, the show continues on. It looks like Fredo, the idiot that he is, the clown that he is, the clown archetype, you know, he's looking at the show and he goes, oh, this is a great show. And old Johnny Ola, he knows how to pick the places. Old man Hiram Roth, not crazy about this, but that Johnny Ola really knows, you know, knows how to pick the right spots. When two seconds ago, he, he said that they never met. So Mike really has this confirmed. And it's basically a wrap for his brother Fredo. And you see this flushed look come over 
Michael Corleone's face like, shit, man. You know, like he was wishing it wasn't true. And he had to give the nod to, you know, one of his one of his guys, you know, to execute what he had to do to Fredo. In other words, take him out. So in this next scene, Johnny Ola steps out into the patio to take some, you know, some of that fresh midnight air. And up from behind him, piano wire choke. You know, he takes him out, chokes him from behind to death. You know, one of the hitmen for Michael Corleone. And they take out Johnny Ola because it's confirmed, you know, that he is moving against Michael Corleone. And the next one's going to be Fredo. Now they continue in Cuba. And Johnny Ola just got uh, choked out, killed for betraying Michael Corleone, as, as he suspected. And now an attempt is made on Hiram Roth's life. The hitman walks into the hospital uh, to choke him out. And at the same exact time, I guess this is when the ruler, I forget his name, uh, of Cuba, Batista, when he was getting overthrown by, I guess, Castro, because you see troops marching into the hotel room. And uh, Michael Corleone walks up to his brother Fredo and says, there's a plane leaving in an hour, we're going to be at it, because he knows that Batista's getting overthrown. And if he would have invested his money with Hiram Roth, he would have lost it. So Michael Corleone walks up to his brother Fredo, whispers, a plane is leaving in an hour, and he goes, I knew it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. And he gave him La Bocha de Morte, the kiss of death. It's crazy shit. And in typical fashion, Fredo just looks down on the floor, just emasculated, and just walks away. Having betrayed his own brother to get him killed. And just as a side note, look at uh, what socialism and communism did to Cuba today. I was watching something on YouTube where a guy was taking the tour of Cuba. Today, modern day, I think this was like in 2019. Went to a restaurant, like a high-end restaurant. And the only thing that they had on the menu was literally spaghetti with, I think, some kind of fake liquid cheese. Like imitation cheese. Cuba, you can't get meat. I think everybody gets a stipend of like $11 a month, so you can't eat meat. It's That's what socialism and communism does. Not to get political, but look at Venezuela. Look at all of these countries where socialism has taken over. And uh, we have Antifa over here, and uh, all of these fake movements that are being, even BLM, that Black Lives Matter, they take, the leaders of that are socialists, so they're not really trying to benefit, you know, black people, because it's perpetuating the cycle of, of suffering, you know, and, and uh, they're being used like pawns just to perpetuate the socialist movement, because guess what's going to happen once they defund the police, guess who's going to be next, okay? Gotta wake up and smell the FEMA camps. Oh, and I forgot to add China, North Korea, the old Soviet Union. And what's going on in China right now with this whole social score. They're actually harvesting, uh, I guess Muslims, they're harvesting their body parts. I I don't want to get too deep into this shit, but people, you gotta, gotta understand, man, this socialism, communism stuff sounds good and it's all flowery, but... Look at the reality of wherever communism and socialism is implemented. It's death and destruction, man. And it's just for the interests of the higher-ups. And guess what? They call them useful idiots. Everybody that helps them get into power, uh, once they're in power, you're considered a useful idiot and you're exterminated. Just check your history, man. 
So the movie does run its course, but eventually at the end, there's no real true resolution. It basically closes out. Godfather 3, don't see it. If you see it anyway, don't waste your time. It's garbage. But Godfather 1 and 2 are, like I said, the best movies out. So, at the close of Godfather 2, you see Michael Corleone, aged, clearly middle-aged, now sitting like on a wicker chair. It's fall. The leaves are falling, which is a metaphor or an allegory for life and for his situation. And he's just sitting there in a pensive mood and knowing that he just has to wait for the next day to come and follow and rinse, wash, and repeat what he what he needs to do for himself. You know, he's not a regular dude. He's like the head of the mobster, so he's got a lot of pressure on him. So I hope you did enjoy this Godfather 2 movie breakdown. Uh, it, you know, like I said, it is my favorite movie of Godfather 1 and 2. And there was such popularity with the first one, I figured I would put this one out just as a sequel to put it out and, you know, to, to be enjoyed and listened to. So I really do want to thank you for listening and namaste. Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. My Instagram is alphamalebuddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast so it's motivational and inspirational i also have promotional t-shirts if you go to my website alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com you can see the promotional t-shirts there reach out to me also if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast just reach out and see if i can get that done i've been getting some really Great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.